Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrutnach, and it's time for another year of voyaging through the blacklist. Thanks as ever for listening. Hope we enjoy the varied diet of weird, filthy books that are going to be featured this year. This episode is about a little book banned in Ireland in 1990, which had already been shadow banned in Britain in the late 1980s. Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin was written by Suzanne Bosch, and it's only a wee book, but it has a lot of history attached to it. Initially, I thought this was the first children's book I'd read for the podcast, until I remembered The Little Red School Book from season five. Like Jenny Lives, it was originally published in Denmark. Seems like Danish attitudes to children managed to offend a lot of other European cultures. Now, Jenny Lives is aimed at very young children, those young enough to be read to. It's a picture book. There is text, but the illustrations are really telling the story. It's a book for the under sevens, while the Little Red School book was for children on the cusp of adulthood, those about to become young adults. The Little Red School book therefore features sex and mentions condoms, but Jenny Lives is about an ordinary day in the life of a small child and her parents. They eat breakfast, go to the laundrette, squabble. It's very pedestrian. But this little book became infamous in the 1980s in Britain, and the clue, I suppose, is in the title. Jenny lives with Eric and Martin, her parents. Two men parenting a child. Two gay men, obviously. And it was printed by Gay Men's Press. In Ireland, sex between men was illegal until 1993, so it's not surprising this book was banned here. What's odd is that it was banned in 1990, seven years after it was published. How did it escape the censor's net for so long? More importantly, I suppose, why didn't it get banned when the book set off a moral panic in Britain in 1987? Irish people read British newspapers, watched British TV when they could get it. It seems odd that Ireland wasn't infected by the same obsession with homosexual propaganda, when it was pretty conservative. I think it's time to explore that seven-year gap between publication and banning. But first off, a drink to go with the book. Coffee is my choice, because Jenny and her parents enjoy a Saturday morning breakfast in bed, with coffee and crisp bread. 
In a realistic nod to parenting, Jenny wakes them up way too early on a day they would prefer to sleep in. Naturally, they need caffeine to get them through a day entertaining a bright and bubbly five-year-old. Now, I do have a confession to make. I haven't read all the book because I can't get it in Ireland. It's in one university library, but the state's copyright library did not collect it. And it's out of print for decades. But luckily, various articles and blog posts have reproduced pages from the book, so I could get an idea of the layout and content. I'll start off with the page where Jenny starts her day. It reads, It is Saturday. Jenny opens her eyes. Everything is quiet. She looks over to the curtains. Yes, the sun is shining outside. She tiptoes into the bedroom. Martin and Eric are still asleep. Martin is closest to her. She tugs his arm gently, then harder. Dad, Dad, wake up. He certainly is very sleepy. It looks as though he can't even open his eyes. He puts his arm around her and is about to say something, but he falls asleep again. So that's one page of text. Very simple, clear, and aimed at small children. But it's not really the words that tell the story, is it? When you're tiny, it's the pictures. There are two photographs on this page. The top one shows Jenny kneeling next to the bed, pulling at Martin to wake up. The two men are fast asleep in the bed, bare-chested. Martin lies on his back with Eric's arm around his neck. It's an intimate picture of a private family moment where a wakeful child demands the lazy adults get out of that bed right now. But of course, the adults are men sharing a bed. I think if these photos had been taken in Britain, the adults would have been wearing pyjamas. Not because everyone wears pyjamas, but in posing photos for a children's book, that would have been the automatic cultural choice. These photos, though, were taken in Denmark, a society with a different attitude to nudity. On a subsequent page, Martin is shown sitting up, all bare legs and arms. If he's wearing anything, it's just a pair of briefs. To be honest, I think contemporary British and Irish people would think that a photograph of a near-naked adult was too much skin for a kiddies book. I think it's just a reflex cultural response. It wouldn't even be articulated clearly. And photographs, of course, are different to drawings. And most kids' books are illustrated. So there's that tension there as well with those realistic photographs. But moving on from lolling in bed to a life lesson conversation. Now, anyone who's read a kiddies book recently, you know it's not unusual to have some sort of moral lesson. But some authors make these seem organic, while others shoehorn them in. Suzanne Bosch definitely went down the blunt route. Jenny brings up a nasty remark made by a neighbour about her two fathers. So Eric sketches a story about a grumpy Mrs. Jones who doesn't like gay men. This is his and the author's way of explaining homophobia to a small child. Mrs. Jones, in her flowery hat and handbag, declares that it's very wrong for two men to live together. She says, my husband would never kiss another man. But then Mr. Jones appears in the frame to contradict her. This is extremely soap opera, but it all works out just fine. I'll read it out so you can see exactly what I mean. So when Mrs. Jones says, my husband would never kiss another man, the next frame of the cartoon 
has Mr. Jones arriving in to say, Now that's not quite right, dear. When I was young, I was in love with a man and we lived together. But then I met you, and it was you I loved most. And you loved me the most, so we moved in together and got married. Mrs. Jones doesn't seem that surprised, but she says, But goodness, why didn't you ever tell me that? I always thought it was wrong when two men love one another. Mr. Jones replies, There are so many things people think are wrong. It can never be wrong to live with someone you're fond of. Mrs. Jones says, I suppose that's right. I never thought of it that way. I'm sorry you must forgive me. Bye-bye. Exit stage right, all neat and tidy. I mean, it's just remarkable how quickly Mrs. Jones would say, Oh, I never thought of it that way. As if, I would say that this is a preachy kind of children's book, but then it was written in the early 1980s. The genre has become a little bit more subtle since then. Although no one said it at the time, I think this little cartoon interlude probably pissed off a lot of conservatives. But those people were in Britain, not Ireland. Before Jenny Lives was published in 1983, a member of Parliament named Geoffrey Dickens called on bookshops to boycott it. His statement was reported in an Irish daily newspaper just above another report featuring Dickens that was headlined Vice Ring at Royal Palace. Mr. Dickens is outside the scope of this episode, but his is a wild story. So wild that the only podcasts about him I could find were by far-right conspiracy theorists. To summarise, he believed that establishment men ran paedophile rings to traffic and abuse children. I mean, you can see why that story is so attractive right now to the crazier corners of the internet. Unsurprisingly and depressingly, he equated homosexuality with child abuse. So a book like Jenny Lives set his alarm bells ringing. But his attempt in 1983 to whip up anxiety failed, and Gay Men's Press published 3,000 copies of the book to no fuss at all. No one really took any notice until four years later, in 1987. Then Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin became notorious. The tabloid newspaper The Sun terrified its readers with this headline, Vile Book in School, Pupils See Pictures of Gay Lovers. I mean, time for the smelling salts, lads. Very scary stuff. Soon MPs from the Conservative Party were waving the book around, claiming it was homosexual propaganda, that it was deliberately planted in school libraries across London to corrupt the minds of the young. So this was nonsense. Teachers could borrow it, but not students. And it's a children's book. It's not propaganda. Of course, tabloid headlines aren't supposed to be accurate or measured. It's all about that emotional manipulation. It's odd that the Conservative Party, the most powerful political party in the land in 1987, are getting their knickers in a twist over a kiddies book. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today, when politicians strip a complex social issue down to a polarizing slogan, we call it a culture war. Right now, British conservatives are obsessed with emigration. But in the 80s, it was gay people. There are lots of explanations for why homophobia was politically profitable in the 80s. For the high politics end of things, I think you should listen to the Queer Ephemera podcast that I've linked to in the show notes, because I don't want to get into all of that left-right local government stuff. This isn't a British history podcast. I want to talk more about the issues to do with sexuality and gender that may have brought background homophobia to the fore. Firstly, of course, the HIV-AIDS epidemic had reached Britain, terrifying everyone and giving bigotry a new lease of life. There's nothing like a new, unpredictable disease to destabilise the society, as we all know. And just for context, 1987 was the year that Princess Diana shook the hand of an AIDS patient. She chose not to wear gloves, and that was a huge deal. So I think HIV-AIDS fed into this moral panic about this tiny book. But I think there was a long-term cause too, one that had bubbled in British politics since the late 1960s. Gay rights campaigners had been working for decades to change the law and public attitudes to gay people. By 1983, in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, sex between consenting men over 21 was no longer a crime. Bookshops run by and for gay and lesbians were opening in the big cities. There were helplines to offer support and advice to queer people. These are small incremental changes made over a long time, but they did make queer folk more visible in British society. There was a bit more space to be queer, which implied a bit more tolerance and maybe even a bit less bigotry. For those invested in homophobia, it felt like social change was barreling forward, out of control, that gayness was everywhere. So a moral panic focused on a child's book becomes the perfect excuse to publicly accuse gay people of destabilising society. It was the time-honoured, won't somebody think of the children's censorship argument. A new censorship did grow out of this moral panic, but in a beautiful sleight of hand, it wasn't called censorship. The act that brought it in was called the Local Government Act of 1988, which is a title of staggering tedium, but it included a clause that became notorious, Section 28. In this part of the act, local authorities were prohibited from intentionally promoting homosexuality, 
are publishing material with the intention of promoting homosexuality. They were also forbidden from promoting the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. I know, very boring legal language, but that is kind of deliberate. That's what acts do to distract you from their political purpose. What Section 28 did in practice was make it extremely difficult and sometimes dangerous for teachers to talk about homosexuality in government-funded schools. The same local authorities that ran schools also managed libraries, swimming pools and parks. And in none of those places could they publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality. Now, that's a kind of a weird term, promoting homosexuality. But what it means in this context is acknowledging that it exists, that gay people have families, and that they live normal lives. By law, queer people could not be acknowledged in the signs, pamphlets, or books that were produced for civic public spaces. It was a pretty blunt piece of legislation, but the British government could say that it wasn't censorship, because it is very important for Britain to maintain its image as a pioneer of democracy and an upholder of civil liberties. Of course, an open censorship regime would be awkward if you wanted to believe that you were on the side of the angels. Across the Irish Sea, Irish people were witnessing this Section 28 fuss and the protest against it. They enjoyed news articles on lesbians storming the BBC and Buckingham Palace. Seriously, though, I recommend you read more about those protesting lesbians. They were the bomb. But no one in Ireland mentioned the book. At the centre of the storm, Jenny lives with Eric and Martin. I thought this was odd, since Irish censors often took their cue from scandals abroad. When the Little Red School book or the Well of Loneliness became notorious in other countries, the Irish censor did take note. So I set out to discover if Jenny lives had even made it across the sea or a land border to the Republic of Ireland. And the good news is that Irish people could read this children's book, even as British politicians threw collective hissy fits about it. In 1988, a cooperative in Cork City called the Key Co-op ran a bookshop that stocked what they said was the most comprehensive and up-to-date selection of lesbian and gay titles in Ireland. Most of their business was in mail orders, and now I have to describe how that worked, because these processes are now extinct. I bet loads of you have never done a mail order before. The shop printed a short catalogue that had a mail order form at the end of it. A customer filled in the form with their name and address, listed what they wanted to buy, and sent it off with a cheque or postal order enclosed. Customers paid postage on top of the cost of the books or the magazines they ordered. And the important thing was there was what you wanted to order and then what you were willing to get if they didn't have your first choice. So you had to scan the catalogue, work out the price of your first choice of books and then pick books at more or less the same price so that your cheque would even out. It was a bit complicated. You could order monthly magazines published in Britain like Gay Times or Gladrag, which was subtitled Journal of the Transvestite Transsexual Support Group. Anyone reading these magazines would have been familiar with the controversy over Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin. When they saw the book title in the non-fiction listing, some probably thought it was worth spending £4.36 on it. Most of the books did cost between £4 and £6, so it wasn't spectacularly dear. Nonetheless, this was a fair amount of money in the late 1980s. 
about 15 quid now. So for a kid's book, it was dear. But what if someone walked into a high street bookshop? Could they buy Jenny Lives? Okay, I can't be sure, but I'm going to say no. Books with LGBTQ plus themes were not generally available in bookshops or libraries. I was watching a telly documentary called A Different Country the other day, which showed interviews with activists and those who were out on the Irish gay scene from the 70s onwards. It was a great programme, actually. Really enjoyable. So Terry Blanche told how she went into a bookshop in Dublin and asked for The Well of Loneliness, that famous queer novel by Radcliffe Hall. The woman behind the counter said, We don't sell those types of books. Now, The Well of Loneliness was banned in 1930, but it was released from censorship jail in 1967, so it was legal to sell. But it seems like mainstream booksellers, if they knew a book was about queer sexuality, weren't interested. And everyone knew what The Well was about, so it couldn't hide in plain sight. I think we can be sure that books like Jenny Lives, that were published by Gay Men's Press, were not going to be stocked by ordinary bookshops. The very existence of specialist gay bookshops proved that people couldn't get the books they wanted through standard distribution networks. While Terry Blanche's memory was from the early 1970s, I don't think it had changed that much by the late 1980s. In 1986, a book called Out for Ourselves, The Lives of Irish Lesbians and Gay Men, was published in Dublin. It was the first of its kind published in Ireland, telling the stories of Irish lesbians and gay men to Irish lesbians and gay men. The publishers complained that it was censored because booksellers refused to stock it. Some branches of Eason's, the biggest bookseller, refused to carry it. And those branches were in Cork and Limerick. That does kind of imply that Dublin customers could buy it, but it was tough if you lived in the provinces. Those self-proclaimed radical bookshops, the ones that stocked books too hot for mainstream booksellers, also refused to sell it. Take a bow, the Sinn Féin bookshop and the Workers' Party bookshop in Dublin. Revolutionary leftism was pretty conservative in its own way. If you wanted to buy out for ourselves, you were better off going to a specialist bookshop, like the Key Co-op. Of course, you had to know first about the book and also about the bookshop, and that wasn't always easy. Anyone who read Jenny Lives in the 1980s was determined, reasonably well-off, and lucky. But what happened after it was banned in 1990? People who already owned it were not committing a crime by keeping it, so it still circulated from person to person in LGBTQ plus networks. I suspect the key co-op would have kept selling their stock because gay people knew that illegal did not mean dangerous. The thing is, though, there may not have been many copies to sell. The first print run numbered 3,000 in 1983, and while there was a second printing in 1987, it wasn't very large. All those copies were thinly spread across Ireland and the UK. Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin became a symbol, but as a physical book, it pretty much vanished. The ban by the Irish censors probably didn't make much of a difference to its circulation, because it was always small. Now, I know you're probably looking forward to censorship bingo, but there's really no point in doing it. This little picture book scores an all-time low of one, and simply because it featured queer content. It's an outlier on the blacklist in 1990 as well. 
Not many books were being banned at this stage, and most of them were sex manuals or erotica. Weirdly, these were all about straight rather than gay sex. The interesting thing about the Key Co-op book catalogue is that the gay sex manuals it advertised did not appear on the blacklist. In 1990, the Irish censors were more worried about straight people having good sex than gay people, it seems. But families that might challenge the heterosexual model, well, that was scary. I wish I could wrap this up by saying how hilarious it was that the British and Irish governments censored a children's picture book. But it wasn't fucking funny at all for those growing up in societies where queer identities were disregarded and erased. And we can't console ourselves by saying this story belongs to the past because children's books are the new frontier in censorship. In America, picture books for very young children with tales of two dads or two moms or queer children attract complaints from culture war warriors. It doesn't matter if the main characters aren't human. There's a book called Worm Loves Worm about, well, worms which has been challenged for LGBTQ plus content. I'm going to give you the description of the book, just so you can see how innocuous it is. Two worms in love decide to get married, and with help from cricket, beetles, spider, and the bees, they have everything they need and more. But which one will be the bride, and which the groom? When I read it, all I could think was, worms are hermaphrodites. So is that the solution to the dilemma? Because, I mean, seriously, it's a picture book about worms. If parents are worried about their children reading about genderless or gendered worms, they haven't enough to be worried about. So unfortunately, the fuss over Jenny lives with Eric and Martin was a very early sign of the culture wars to come. Children's books are now among the most controversial publications in the English-speaking world because everyone, just everyone, is thinking of the children. It has come to pass that the best place to buy controversial literature is the children's section. That's so strange. And that's the weird and wonderful history of Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin, a book hardly any of us will get the chance to read. Till next time, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.